All right, it's time for Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry, Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News. Good morning, Keith. Good morning. So let's talk about the situation with the decampment operation on Hastings Street, downtown Eastside. We're now into, what, day seven of this operation here? It sounds like this is like a daily sweep now police are doing. They just go down every day and clear the tents off the sidewalk. Well, they did that for years in Victoria, where yeah. they go down Fort Street and, and sweep everybody off the, the, the storefronts or office fronts at uh, 7 a.m., 6 a.m., 7 a.m., that was a, a basically how is it was this, done in Victoria. Is this surprising, though? Like, I remember at the start of this plan, there was talk about, could this be a one- or two-day operation? Now we're in day seven of the operation. On day one, I talked to Ravi Kale on the housing minister, and he certainly had the impression this was not going to be an easy fix in one or two days. It was going to take some time because these people, some people are refusing offers of shelter. Yep. Others, for as you've articulated, for a number of reasons, some of these shelters are basically not the most hospitable places. Yep. Um, there's some mental health issues down there. Uh, again, it's probably going to go on for some time. Okay. I, I spoke to Kennedy Stewart I on the show that. this morning. Yeah, the former mayor. And he says that what the city is doing is cruel, brutal, genocide. genocide. He said this is like genocide against Indigenous people. Here's what he had to say here about, he talks here about his own time as mayor and how he doesn't think the city's doing the right thing here. Let's listen. We're throwing them through the wolves, and this is not acceptable. That wasn't the approach I took as mayor. It wasn't perfect, but I did everything I could to secure. I haven't heard uh, any uh, pressure from local or provincial governments right now on the federal government to help with emergency funding here. Okay, when he says it wasn't perfect, I think it's a bit of an understatement. <laughs> I think a big reason why he was trounced by Ken Sim was his handling of this situation. Yeah. I mean, what's going on right now is not the preferred option, obviously. I mean, there's, this is not an easy fix. But to let this continue unchecked, as it did under Kennedy Stewart's watch, I think was unacceptable well, to the vast majority of the public. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It got, it got worse under his watch. Well, the, well, you can't so, dispute that. No, it got worse. And yeah. the most alarming um, thing that's emerged in recent weeks was this survey of how many women were sexually assaulted yeah. in this can- encampment. Then you have Ken Sim talking about how many, uh, just basically how a number of tents housed criminal operations. Well, let's listen to that. So this is Ken Sim, the, of course, the current Vancouver mayor, speaking this morning to Simi Sarah about the decampment effort. Listen to how he describes some of the tents here that police took down. Have a listen. Then there were other uh, actors as well um, who actually weren't living in the tents. And, you know, there there was, uh, you know, people that were using those tents as, you know, uh, chop shops or uh, places to store, you know, um, you know, weapons and what have you. And that accounted for about a third of the tents in question. Wow. That's, that's a so lot a th- of the tents. A third of the tents were crime scenes, basically. Yeah. Uh, alarmingly large number of women sexually assaulted. So this was not a benign, friendly housing encampment yeah. of vulnerable people. There were criminals uh, active in this place. So, uh, again, what's happening right now may not be the best option, uh, but when you're running out of options, I don't think the status quo is acceptable to the vast majority of the public. Okay, it was very interesting to listen to two starkly different approaches here on, on this. you got the current mayor and the former mayor, both on this morning here on CKNW. Let's listen to Kennedy Stewart here again, because have a listen to this here now. How he goes over, basically goes after the provincial government here, saying they had an, um, a memorandum of understanding to get housing built for people as they were moved out of these encampments. Have a listen here. It's Kennedy Stewart speaking to me a short time ago. I don't disagree that decampment, you know, decampment is a be- is a good option, but there has to be places for people to go, and this uh, 
this mayor and council disappointingly have broken with uh, what we had arranged with the province. They've essentially torn up the memorandum of understanding that I had signed with David E.B. that we would have housing in place before people were moved. Your thoughts? Well, I've not heard any criticism from David Eby or Ravi Kalon of what's happening down there. I mean, David Eby ran for the leadership with a promise to get rid of this encampment. Yeah. That was one of his top priorities. Yep. It, you know, it, he didn't spell out exactly what was going to happen, but he said this encampment cannot continue to exist. He made that clear when he was running to be NEP leader and post uh, being sworn in as premier. So I don't yeah, so exactly what... Uh, well, he's effectively criticizing both levels of government. He's criticizing the city and he's criticizing the province yeah. here. So, But you're right. I mean, David Eby has said quite clearly that he thought the situation was unacceptable. He, he has frequently invoked that study you just mentioned about how many women living yeah. down there have been victims of sexual assault. Other, he's look, you've got to shut this down. Yep. Yeah, so I, again, I don't see exactly where the, he thought that David Eby did not want this to happen until there was... Uh, alternatives in place. And again, they're pointing out they're being offered shelter. I mean, the last update we got a few weeks ago was 117 people living there. I think 70 people had accepted shelter. So it's a, a diminishing number of people are refusing. And shelter, shelter, I think the, the, the important thing to keep in mind for people when they hear that is that Shelter is like, we're talking a temporary place to basically mm -hmm. sleep at night. You're not talking yeah. about a permanent home. But the city has kept saying, like, this is not a, we're not trying to solve the homelessness crisis here with this operation. We're trying to shut down a dangerous situation, prevent a catastrophic fire. But it's not an easy fix. We had a similar situation in Victoria where we had this, this long running encampment near court, near the courthouse in downtown Victoria. So a number of people have been relocated to a shelter, basically an apartment building, which has turned into a dangerous place itself. Yeah. So this is not necessarily an easy fix here, just saying we'll go to a shelter. These, some of these places can be dangerous places as well, and unsanitary. Okay, moving on to the housing plan from the province here. I watched your report on Global News on this last night. Now, it's interesting as we talk more about this idea that David Eby has around densification, that you can put four units of housing on one single-family lot, right? And now you're starting to see some of the pushback from municipalities. Let's listen to the mayor of Richmond here. This is Malcolm Brody. What may work in one location may well not work in another location. What about the other services that are involved? Police, fires, schools, the hospitals. We're going to have cars. Where are they going to park? Where, where are people going to park? Well, you know, <laughs> the, one of the big developments, if not the big, one of the biggest developments, is downtown Victoria, where they're going to build a number of very tall towers. We don't have towers in Victoria. Our skyline is very minuscule. We don't have those big towers you see in Vancouver and other major urban centers. But we're about, that's about to change. We've got these 30-story towers going in, but there's minimal parking associated with them. So there's like 1,800 units coming in and very few parking spots. So Victoria, anyone who's been to Victoria already knows it's pretty hard to find a parking spot in downtown Victoria. Yeah. It's just about to get a lot worse. Now, I talked to Richard Stewart, the mayor of Coquitlam, uh, for yeah. a piece last night. He talks about how they're favoring in Coquitlam what's called gentle density, which is a much smaller footprint. It's not big towers. It's, uh, you know, it could be fourplexes or 12, 12 units. But again, and it varies, as Malcolm Brody says, it varies from place to place. Not every spot in the city is the same as every other spot. Coquitlam is focused in a lot of its development as the province is pushing for around SkyTrain stations. And that's what you're going to see in Vancouver along the Broadway uh, corridor is push there to have more density. And that's what you see in other jurisdictions in many places around the world. Hong Kong, for example, 
a lot of its density tied to rapid transit. Yeah, the opposition liberals also criticizing EB for this plan, about four homes on a single-family lot, sort of a blanket policy, provincial law, saying that what they, he should have done was set targets for municipalities and get the municipalities to kind of buy in to meet, well, to meet a target, rather than sort of bringing in this sort of you know, one-size-fits-all blanket law for well, the whole, whole well, province. We haven't seen the legislation yet. Well, yeah, it's, it's not coming out to the fall. fall yeah. Rabbi Kalon told me the reason for that, they want further consultations with municipalities. So it's quite conceivable. The legislation may actually could change, could change yeah. that, where it may provide a lot of the detail, because yeah. the mayors are looking for details here. They, they just It's one thing to say, oh, put four, lot, four lots or four units on a lot. It's another thing to, w- w- all the bells and whistles that go with it, which includes uh, sewage facilities, um, water mains and parking, just to name three. Okay, speaking of the BC Liberal Party, soon to be BC, BC United. United. Okay, that's the new name of the BC Liberal Party, BC United, and this will become official tomorrow, right? Yeah. A big. Uh, What's happening tomorrow? They're they're, they're in Surrey for an yeah. official launch. Uh, Kevin Falcon's gonna be there. So, uh, the name's gonna change. As we've said before, it's you can't do this overnight. Changing a brand is a, a real challenge. You know, I used to think this was going to be, I still think it's going to be a difficult thing to pull off. Having said that, I talked to a senior liberal last night, a veteran liberal, who said, you know what, you know, he had he had some reservations at the beginning, but he says, I think this may make sense. If you look at the 2020 election, was that an example of that the BC liberal brand is broken? I mean, they went, they took a serious hit in 2020. Is that, is that because there was accumulated baggage under the BC liberal name for 16 years that now is the time? To make the change, we've seen other parties do this. Yeah, you know the Conservative Party of Saskatchewan is no more the Saskatchewan Party. Right, yeah, replaced it very successfully. Yeah, uh, as as the government there, the United Conservative Party in Alberta. Yeah, it's about to be tested in the with the electorate in Alberta, but they've been successful. The federal Conservatives have changed their name several times since Brian Mulroney, and they formed government under Stephen Harper. So name change can work. Okay, let's listen to Ravi Kalan. NDP cabinet minister here. Here he is criticizing the name change here from the BC Liberals to BC United. He sees a different uh, uh, why they're doing this. Have a listen. It's uh, to the core. Kevin Falcon trying to hide his record. I see this as a bit of an attempt to uh, change his history and change the the path of his party. Okay, Kevin Falcon trying to change his history. Well, again, that's changing the BC Liberal track record, um, getting rid of that name associated with a number of negative things, the HST, money laundering, corporate donations, uh, any other number of, of uh, unpopular things that inevitably occur under any government's watch. So, okay. yeah, it's good. it takes some time to change the brand. Uh, it's not just changing the lawn signs, campaign signs. It's, there's a lot more to it than that. But okay. BC United also, you know, they want to shore up support on the center-right side of the spectrum and get rid of the name Liberal. All right. Keith Baldry is my guest. Right to your phone calls. Scott in Maple Ridge. Hi, Scott. Go ahead. Yeah, every time I hear the term liberal, I, I think of Prime Minister Breathless and his complete lack of fiscal ability to understand anything. A man who has to, in a time of inflation, when government revenue should be up based on the, in, the increased values of everything, has still has to raise sale taxes to make enough money to pay for his recklessness economically. So, yeah, I'm glad they changed the name. The liberal, the liberal name is, is a name that it just invokes complete and utter lack of... of of financial capability. Okay, thank you for that. How much How much of a factor is Trudeau, do you think, Justin Trudeau here in this name change for the B.C. Liberals? Well, I know. I think the, the word liberal is the one that Kevin Falcon's focused on. He says that confuses people. 
yeah. confuses people who aren't liberal. But the Trudeau um, factor is probably a, a significant part of that because he's been in power for a number of years. And so sure. there's a lot of negatives attached to the Trudeau brand, and that brand seems to be eroding. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it, it is a factor right now. Yeah, I think so, too. Jack and Burnaby. Hi, Jack. Go ahead. Oh, hi. I'm uh, calling about this uh, uh, four residences on one uh, one lot. Yeah. I think the process has to be so selective. Otherwise, you're going to destroy the quality of some neighborhood. Mm-hmm. That has to be based upon the, the nature and the makeup of the household mm-hmm. in, a given, uh, in a given area, whether they're young families whether they're old folks or whether they're high-income people. You cannot paint that all with the same brush across the province. Thank you. Well, I don't, you're not going to see any law that dictates how many young people versus old people are going to be living there or you know, wealthy versus non-wealthy. It's, it's, but it's going to be up to councils to, again, to be consulted by the province. One size doesn't fit all. I think this is an opening part of the conversation from the government about four units. It's not going to be four units on every single lot. I mean, homeowners... Why? why but it technically could be, though, couldn't it, if well, we it's province-wide? We don't know, because okay. we haven't seen the legislation. Yeah. But it is province-wide, yeah. you're right, yeah. um, So it's, and it's up to four. So you're not going to see... Let's look around my neighborhood. I don't. Most of the lots cannot fit four units, yeah. but you can get up to four in some of them. Okay, the, the caller touched on this idea of the character of an established mm-hmm. neighborhood. This is frequently invoked, right? You're going to destroy the character of this neighborhood if you allow this densification. Well, look where I live, Fairfield, historic neighborhood in Victoria, one of the oldest neighborhoods. Every A lot of the houses all built around 1911, 1912. And every time there's a new house that comes into Fairfield that's sort of this built with modern architecture, is a bit of a... Pushback by the residents saying, "Oh, that doesn't fit the look of the neighborhood." Right, yeah. Over time, though, it sort of sort of blends in. But you know, that would change the nature of Fairfield, which is sure, predominantly well. single-family detached homes yeah. with a whole bunch of townhomes. Cliff and Ladner. Hi, Cliff. Go ahead. Hi, Mike. Hi, Keith. I just wanted to say, <clears throat> changing their name is going to make me forget about the five hundred million they siphoned off of hydro, ICBC, and taking away the seniors. Fairy fairs. I'll forget all about it with that name change. <laughs> okay, they've got you right where they. Uh, that's they what they're hoping right for. They yeah, I, I think look, there's a downside, but there's an upside to changing the name, and I think Kevin Falcon is clearly betting on the upside here. Yeah. What is the, what is the upside? You get a a, a brand refresh. You got a, something new. A brand refresh. Yeah. Uh, it's not a name associated with anything in the past. Yeah. Again, uh, liberals have argued persuasively the 2020 election and the 2017 election shows the brand was running out of steam. Yeah. And that a, a reset is needed here, and that's going to happen tomorrow. The NDP, of course, have criticized it and ridiculed it and say, you're all you're just trying to hide all your baggage. But I think if you were to give you know, David Eby and some of these other New Democrats a little shot of truth serum and said, who would you rather run against, the B.C. Liberal Party or this new B.C. United Party? They'd probably want the old name. I think so. You know, they'd want, they, the, you they can, want them to keep the name. They can attach more baggage to that old name, yeah. and it's very hard to do it to the new name. They're right. going to say it's, this, it's the... You know, Lever can't change its spots, sort of thing. Right. Uh, but uh, it's an interesting experience. As we see, we, it's they pulled it off with success in other jurisdictions. They have. Okay, we'll watch for that tomorrow. Thanks right. a lot. Talk tomorrow.